Okay, hi. How are you all? It looks like I'm really sitting in the dark here because I am sitting in the dark. Uh, the lights went out in my office, so it's really cozy and everything. I got some lights from this computer, my Mac. I got lights from the other computers. And, you know, I don't know sure the light bulbs went out, but I have power in my office. Excuse me, I have power in my office, so I don't know what's going on. Anyway, um, hope everyone's doing fine. Today's the uh, first week of June. And this week we're talking about misdiagnosis in CT. I was doing some work for CTSS, preparing some new talks, and one of them uh, that you'll see in September sometime probably is a multi-part talk on misdiagnosis. When I was putting together the slides for the talk, and it's a talk I've given before, and we've had it before in CTSS, though I've revamped it, one of the things I realized, and I added right away as my second slide, so my first slide is my title, so the next slide, number two, which is really the first slide, uh, is misdiagnosis and what's been our challenge. We always have challenges, but the point I went into was the COVID has really made things more difficult. And I'll give it to you three or four reasons, and that's five, maybe five reasons why. Number one, you remember we always speak about oral contrast, positive versus neutral. We always speak about that. But then when COVID came along, we couldn't take the masks off the patients. So you couldn't have them drink. So right away you changed your protocols. It was not intentional, but all of a sudden people got into bad habits of not giving oral contrast. We were spending a lot of time before getting people to give oral contrast, so it was always a challenge, but this became more of a challenge. And so, one of the things we got to talk about is in the two and a half years now of COVID, people haven't gone to meetings, you haven't spent as much time with the techs, the techs haven't spent as much time with you. The amount of learning and stuff going on is substantially less and that has hurt the protocols because we were short techs, oh, let's just get the work done. The patients were sicker. People were doing an incredible job but when you're doing that incredible job in difficult scenarios, often the quality will suffer. And I think quality has suffered. And then you fast forward to short of contrast. With the Shanghai issues with GE, no IV, no oral, what the heck are we doing? Low volumes, trying to do non-contrast, everything we know that's wrong. We need good contrast volumes, the injections, all the things. And yes, we've done a good job the last three or four weeks trying to get around the problems. The good news is GE is shipping, things are getting back to normal. But all of these things have compromised our protocols. The most important thing to me for making a great diagnosis on CT is a great protocol. You give IV contrast, you'll pick up the small neuroendocrine tumors, you'll see the blush in the liver for hepatoma, oral contrast plus positive or neutral, you'll see that small tumor in the duodenum or in the ileum. All of the things we know it's all based on protocols. So what I'm saying to you is, we gotta get the protocols right. Very, very critical. So that's super, super critical. So what I'm saying is, revamp, get back, and really pay attention to protocols. Cheers. Um, that's one. Number two is, there's been a radiologist shortage. There is, everyone's working harder and harder. There's been articles, and this is not a great surprise. The more cases you read, the more misses you have. Okay, wow, what a surprise. 
I thought the more you read, the faster you read, the less misses you have. Well, that's not the case. So in this era of post-COVID where volumes are up and a lot of people retired and people are cutting back, uh, it's a challenge. We're all busier and busier. And I think you need to take a deep breath because it's so easy to miss things, okay? It's so easy to miss things. Uh, we need to make certain that we're really, really paying attention, okay? Very, very, very important. Okay, other things. I was, I'm speaking at a meeting, University of Pennsylvania, in Martha's Vineyard, that sounds really good. But I'll ask the audience, what was the last meeting you were at? This meeting in Martha's Vineyard, I was supposed to speak there in June 2020, then June 2021, and God willing, I'm gonna make it June 2022. Most of us who've gone to many meetings have not been going to meetings over the past couple of years. Or you went to meetings and you went to meetings on Zoom. At first, Zoom seemed okay, and Zoom is okay. I'm speaking to you on Zoom right now, Facebook Live. It's kind of like Zoom. And we've done all sorts of good things. I give my weekly conference on Zoom. There are many things great about Zoom, but there's many things great about being in person. It's sharing a common experience. It's no different than watching a movie at home. You're watching a movie at home. Let's say you're watching Tom Cruise's new, whatever movie he has, um, you know, the, with, the, with the fighter jets and all that kind of stuff. Top Gun, Top Gun 2 or Top Gun, whatever it's called. Well, when you watch it at home, okay, even if you have a good TV set and some good sound, it's okay, but it doesn't have the, it's not big, it's not noisy. Also, when you're home, when I watch a movie at home, I'll check my iPhone like 10 times, I'll, I'll get like four snacks, I'll look here, I'll look there, I'll pick up a piece of paper. My attention span is like on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being immersed, I'm like a maybe a 1.5. When you're at the movie theater, you don't look at your iPhone, because you look at your iPhone, people yell at you. You're engaged, okay? You really, really are paying attention to the movie. <gasps> the gas, the laughs, the crying, whatever sounds the audience makes, depending on the movie, of course, hopefully. That is critical, because you're, you're sharing a common experience. It's the intensity of it all that becomes very, very important, okay? When you're home, you just don't pay attention. So when I watch a lecture on Zoom, I'm looking at my phone, I'm looking, I'm cropping slides maybe, and I'm doing something else, and I'm eating a snack, and I'm laying back, and I'm kind of trying to keep awake. So it's been a challenge. Let's, let's get to the, to the point. So in saying that, as we move forward, COVID's not going away, but as we readjust to things differently, one of the things we need to really be rethinking about at your own institution is your protocols. How are your techs doing? How are the protocols doing? Are we back to normal? What needs to be changed? What people need to be retrained? We've had a lot of changes in techs. A lot of our techs left and we got new ones. Again, they, the new ones haven't had the time with you like the old ones had. What is it that you need to do differently to make certain that those new techs are really super, super good? I mean, that becomes super, super important. Super, super important. So let me now leave that philosophy lesson and talk to you about some misdiagnosis. So one of the things I've noticed, and I've spoken about this before perhaps in different uh, venues, is when you look at pancreatic cancer, we always talk about detection being difficult. Small tumors, when they're curable, are hard to see. But 
the most common reason why you miss a lesion, which could have been seen, should have been seen, and could have been cured, is a cutoff of the pancreatic duct. Now, the rule is, if you have a cutoff of the pancreatic duct, and it's abrupt cutoff, you, it's a mass till proven otherwise. Now, often you will see the mass, but in other cases, you will not see the mass. But if you have a duct cutoff, you need to know that there has to be a mass present. Go to EUS, perhaps, as a next step, and you'll see that it's essentially always going to be a tumor. I saw a few cases this week, outside films, remember all mistakes are made outside, where four or five months ago patients had vague pain and the study was read as negative or nothing special and you look back and there's a duct and today the tumor is so much larger and it went from unresectable or went from resectable to being unresectable now. All of these things become very important. So pancreas, dual phase imaging, narrow windows, look for the duct, look at the common duct, look at the pancreatic duct. Pancreatic duct cutoff, there's a mass present unless proven otherwise, okay? Now, sometimes the masses are isodense. MR can be helpful, or just go to EUS and biopsy it. It's just not gonna be normal, okay? Let's be honest. Yes, you can get a stricture from inflammatory disease, but then you often see calcification, or history of pancreatitis, or other changes to pancreatitis. When you see the gland atrophic, where the duct is dilated, then a transition point, I'm telling you, that's a tumor. Get on top of it, don't miss that. Remember, we say pancreatic cancer, survival is under 9%, typically 8% or 7%, but it's been shown stage one, 70%. Those duct cutoffs are gonna be our best chance at patient survival. Let's not miss those. You just can't do that, okay? And I'll show some cases of that when I give my talk. Okay, second thing, and the last thing I'll leave you with today is looking at the bladder. We do lots of CT for bladder cancer staging, follow-up, all the usual things, but that's not what I'm referring to. We do so many aortas in older patients, for Tavris, just routine aortas and follow-ups. Always, you always have to look at the bladder. That becomes very, very critical. Look at the bladder. What happens is you see small enhancing lesions in the bladder, Till proven otherwise, a small enhancing lesion in the bladder, no matter how small it is, is a bladder cancer. You can easily pick up small bladder cancers totally unsuspected. And yes, we don't typically think about bladder cancer as an unsuspected finding, but it often is. And so again, every case, look at the bladder, particularly good on the arterial phase. Bladder is distended, there's no contrast in the bladder. Anything enhancing doesn't belong you got to think about a malignancy. So those are two really good pearls for today. Now I'm looking and I'm seeing, is there anybody making comments? I've noticed lately that, that people watch our uh, Facebook lives, but they're not there in present, uh, except for John Biakina, who's always here. Hey, John from Body CT. But um, so hopefully if you have questions, you can just put them on the site, write a comment, and then I'll take a look at them and answer them later. So if there are no questions, I'm gonna stop there and I'll come back in a few weeks and do a little bit more on misdiagnosis or maybe even next week. Pick some different topics like adrenal and kidney. Look at some of the key factors and hopefully by next week, I'll even have some lights. So with that, I thank everybody for their attention and have a great day.